This week on a lively experiment, how long will Rhode Island be in a state of emergency? The governor has to make the decision to renew the order again. And it's official, the Commissioner of Education gets a three-year contract extension, but she's not getting support everywhere. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us with their insights, Bob Walsh, Executive Director for the National Education Association, Rhode Island. Leanne Senek, National Committee Woman for the Rhode Island Republican Party. And Boston Globe columnist, Dan McGowan. Hello and welcome to Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. It is great to have you with us. It's one of the few things that Gina Raimondo and Dan McKee have agreed on. Repeated renewal of an emergency order initially issued 18 months ago because of, quote, dangers to health and life. It was altered by McKee in August to address the new COVID-19 variants, with the governor extending it again late last month. McKee has hinted that the end may be coming. So should he let it expire on November 27th. I know there's a lot of back and forth on this. Leanne, let me begin with you. We've been doing this for 18 months, so. And absolutely, the state of emergency should end at this point. Um, The reasons that we entered into it are no longer existing. We have over almost 75%, we have one of the highest rates in the country of vaccination for people in our state. And we don't have the, the two weeks to Uh, slow the spread type of thing when we went into that. We have PPE available now. We have um, emergency rooms available. We have all the things that we need to fight this virus. So there's no need to continue with the state of emergency, which has in effect actually lessened our representative style of government um, by excluding the legislature from part of that. And they should have their voice heard as as part of these decisions going forward. Well, they want to get their voice now on that federal money, but we'll talk about that in a minute. (laughs) It it also seems, Dan, that uh, a lot of it was that we could get access to money. We're awash in money at this point. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I think you can start. I mean, Governor McKee, is, you're right. He's hinting at that it may be time to to kind of relax these things. The number one thing I'm sure Bob would probably agree right now is, it, you know, at the beginning of the school year was masks in schools. Look, you still you have the vaccine now for kids, but until you start to see more kids actually getting vaccinated, I think there's a reasonable argument to say, hey, you got to keep masks on in schools or at least some version of a, of a mask program. And so I think they're going to have to weigh this situation where, you know, is it a, can you do it through mandate or can you hope that every city in town complies at the beginning of the school year? There were at least a few cities and towns that didn't want to comply. Is that the question, though, if you eliminate the emergency order, then you don't have the power to be able to enforce that mask in school? Uh, well, they, it would probably revert to the school districts. You know, there was an old Doonesbury cartoon in the 70s during the energy crisis that said, hey, the crisis is now status quo, so we'll declare the crisis over. I don't know that we should be in a hurry to get rid of the state of emergency because folks are going on talk radio and saying, hey, we should get rid of the state of emergency. Ask Dr. Ja, ask Dr. Alexander Scott, ask Dr. McDonald. If they think it's time, then I'll agree well, that it's time. Well, it's just time. not talk radio. Governor McKee's already talking Well, about he's, it. you he say he's hinting at it. But, well, he's but he's getting questions from other reporters. He's getting right. Yeah. So, and, and I don't know if it's time. I, I, you know, what's your hurry? 
Why? What's the reason for keeping it? What's the reason? What, you feel a little better? Is it, how's it going to substantially change your life if they get rid of it versus how is it going to substantially change your life if they keep it? The countries that have relaxed standards have seen increases in outbreaks. Everybody's not vaccinated yet. The kids are just starting to go through the system. What is the harm in waiting until the last tranche, the children, 5 to 11, have time to get a vaccine, their second vaccine three weeks, two weeks later, what is the harm to waiting? I'm not saying do it or wait. I'm saying that why don't we ask the experts with medical degrees what they think and follow follow their advice. We've done very, very well in the state. We have one of the highest vaccination rates in the country, but we're not done yet. So I'm not in a hurry. What would you say to that, Louise? Yeah. I say we're more in a hurry just because we want to get the legislature back on board and to take some of that, the powers that were kind of switched over to the governor's office. Those things should be going back to the General Assembly. What about that dynamic now that it was, all, and we've talked about this a lot on this show, Gina Raimondo's writing checks right and left, and now, it, the, you know, they, they want to step in and say, well, we want a little bit of control over this money, and they're beginning to get off the sidelines a little bit. Well, I mean, right, this all does come down to, uh, you know, some level of power and who controls things, and I think in the moment of Gina Raimondo, you know, peak of the virus, you know, it made a lot of sense to have kind of a, a one person sort of in charge or the, the the executive branch in charge. You know, now it starts to become less about, you know, are we making sure people are not in the hospitals or not, you know, uh, not getting sick. And it's more about, you know, who controls money, you know, long term over how you spend it. I understand that, you know, that sort of uh, debate. Um, I tend to agree with Bob. Let's see if, if you, you know, if the health experts say it's okay, sure. I think you have to figure out that mask thing in schools um, but you know I don't love the idea of the executive branch of government always controlling all the purse strings yeah uh, November 27th you say just wait and see and what he does at the end of the month I don't see I don't see any compelling reason to change the way things are till after the first of the year and we get better data on how uh, many of our youngest kids are getting vaccinated. Uh, and the legislature is most likely not going to be coming back into session before the end of the year. Uh, I do agree with Leanne on the transparency thing, and I think you can still hold meetings open, and I think that forevermore we can also make sure, and I think the General Assembly had done a good job getting these things televised um, and recorded anyway, but I, I, I like uh, that the public has the option to watch from home or eventually get back up there and testify in person. Okay. Uh, the Commissioner of Education, uh, who we talked about last week, they made it official this week. The Board of Education said that they want Angelica Infante Green to stay another three years. Dan, you have covered her right from the start when she came, and we've talked about how, you know, the pandemic and Providence has sucked up so much of the time. So now that she's in, this was over the opposition. I know the Providence Teachers Union is not your union. We'll get to you in a minute. Um, so what does she have to do now going forward to really say, okay, all of this is behind us. Now let's focus on what I was brought in to do. Well, the number one thing that she needs to do is get him in a room and get, you know, the folks from the AFT in a room and actually start to have productive conversations about how to move the state forward. I mean, the dirty little secret about the way Commissioner Infante Green sort of came in was 
Gina Raimondo controlled everything behind the scenes, right? If you want, if you had a fight with a union, you, Gina called Bob Walsh, things like that. Now, you know, what, what has happened in recent years is the commissioner doesn't have Gina Raimondo there. She needs to build her own relationships, doesn't have a friend at the state house. 113 of them in the General Assembly, not one of them will go to bat for her on anything. She needs to improve relationships if she's going to be able to get anything done, whether it's in Providence or statewide. Can you confirm or deny that uh, Gina Raimondo would be calling you, Bob, about these things? Oh, I, I can confirm that, and I think Dan hit it right on the head. Um, I make the same offer to every commissioner. Um, I'm willing to sit down with you at the beginning. We can have uh, an off-the-record relationship as well as a public relationship. I can give you my thoughts on navigating the General Assembly, education in Rhode Island, and everything else. I, um, uh, the four of us as a group met with the commissioner early in her tenure. And the four of us, I mean uh, my counterpart, our statewide president, Larry Pirtle, who's also on the board, uh, Colleen Callahan from the Rhode Island Federation of Teachers, who's on the board, and Frank Flynn, who is their president. The four of us had coffee with the commissioner once. Um, I've occasionally been in a room with her on very large committees, like at the Rhode Island Foundation, and she doesn't have any obligation to talk to me at all. Um, the reason that Larry and Colleen, they're various meetings voted against the renewal of the contract is there is no meaningful relationship as Dan pointed out and that's fine I mean if you think that everything's going well in at public education in Rhode Island then the vast majority of the council voted to approve her okay was that now, vote to get her attention then why, why did Larry vote against her he voted against her because they didn't put in any of the parameters even in Deborah Giss renewal which we opposed by the way um, and it was something that when Chafee made a commitment that he would go in another direction and could not keep that commitment or chose not to keep that commitment. But at least they said, hey, you've got to sit down and do exactly what Dan McGowan just said. You've got to sit down and talk to these folks. Um, my, you know, as you know, most of the groups we represent are the suburban and rural communities. Uh, East Providence and Newport are on the list of targeted funds, but most of them there. So I say that we're getting mostly benign neglect from the Department of Education, and that manifests in a lot of different ways. The governor himself went in and took over negotiations of the Providence contract because they couldn't get it done. And what happens, normally we like to work with the Department of Ed. Uh, they've got, you know, 200 hardworking employees, over 200 hardworking employees there. But you can't get anything done, so you go to the legislature. Like the financial literacy bill that Seth uh, Magaziner took the lead on, originally we were opposed to that. Not because we didn't think it was important, because we said you shouldn't be doing it through legislation. They should have a process of Department of Ed. Now we throw it up our hands and say... Pass everything you need to pass because we don't have a working relationship with the Department of Education. I, I agree with the working relationship so that we can get things done, but more importantly, they have to build a relationship and have parameters. Um, part of the contract does not have any parameters to gauge the success of children in our education system. And we just saw the, the test scores that came out um, what, a couple of weeks ago, and 95% of kids in Providence, uh, Woonsocket, the inner cities, have no are not proficient in reading and mathematics all of these things and there's no parameters to make sure that the, the our people who are in charge of this are getting this done and i think those are the things that we should be looking for when we talk about renewing a contract if you were in private industry and that was your production rate you'd be out um 
no yeah, question about it. Metrics would, metrics would in some way help. And I should say, while I think they need to get in a room and I think she needs to build better relationships with the General Assembly, it is not because I think Bob and Frank Flynn are always right about everything in education, right? It's a matter of, you know, you need to have some working relationship to get anything yeah. done but, at but, all. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I always accept that there's going to be a lot of disagreements in this. But you also didn't say, see us raise a huge ruckus about it because everything's a workaround now. You don't like the way negotiations are going? Let the governor's office take it over. Um, governor clearly didn't have uh, great faith because he did this outside contract to do a lot of things that should have been done at the Department of Education. It's just frustrating. I said last week I thought that her relationship with Dan McKee, I don't know if it's better, but it seemed to be pretty good early on when he took over. Because you always wonder, is Dr. Scott going to, uh, Alexander Scott going to stay? All these department heads. She has spoken at least in the venues that I've seen warmly of the governor, even though she got booted out of those negotiations. W what is your thought about their relationship, and did that help keep her here? So I think it... it she's Although he's not directly involved, obviously, in the hiring. She doesn't dislike the governor. Um, it's no secret she was, you know, interviewed or talked to about going to Washington a little bit in, in the last couple of months, and so, you know, she has obviously looked elsewhere. I think her family really likes it here. She's got two kids in school. She wants to be here. I think it's more about that, and then this does provide some level of security. Although, you know, we all know that that next year, if education is a hot topic uh, in the governor's race, every candidate will be asked, "Will you keep her?" And the out here is, yes, she has a contract, but you can always buy her out. The larger issue on the scores, and look, I know the scores don't always reflect. There are other metrics that can, you know, everybody says RICAS, MCAS have been going on for 20 years, and those are very, very difficult tests. But the, the trend did not look good. So as you look at that from your perspective and your teachers, what, what was your reaction when those came out? Well, obviously I wasn't surprised that during a pandemic scores dropped everywhere. Traditional public schools, charter schools, everywhere else. Not Soames Elementary but, School but, in but, Barrington. But no, <laughs> no yeah, yeah, no, my, yeah, no, the 11... <laughs> my kids' alma mater, yeah, just yeah, wanted yeah, to say. The 11 NEA districts that were atop of the charts were not because they're NEA districts, because they had involved parents and a high level of participation in distance learning, and great teachers, of course, but we have great teachers throughout the system. We need more help. I mean, how many times I come on the show, I can say the same thing. You want to be like Massachusetts, then pony up, right? Don't spend $5 million on an ILO contract, give me $5 million, and if you want to make a difference in Providence and Winsaka that Leanne mentioned, give me an army of reading and math tutors and go into the elementary schools and bring kids up to grade level. We know how to do it. We absolutely know how to do it. We need the resources to do it. Go in, see, and here's the other part about test scores that I don't tell you. We're not up to par, but how far behind are we? Are we one pandemic behind and the third grade kids are testing like second graders or are the third grade kids testing like kindergarten kids? And how much work do we have to do to bring the kids up to par? Because the test scores don't tell you a lot. They just say this group of people at this age group aren't doing what this age group should be. But we need to know, and they do know, but we need to know how far behind and then we have a different strategy for it, for, for different groups of kids. If you're six months behind in reading, we can move you pretty quickly up to catching up because if you don't go into third grade already reading at grade level, the rest of your academic career from third grade through life is 
reading to learn. But the learning to read phase, pre-K, kindergarten, first and second grade is crucial. And we can do interventions there. We know how to do it. We just need the resources. So at the first tranche, every student hitting third grade is ready to learn for the rest of their career and, and do math and, and everything else. It's not that hard. It's just going to cost a little bit of money. And for the first time, you actually, this isn't a conversation about, you know, uh, should there be a tax the rich bill at the state? Right, there's money. There's money. And we've to got spend, money. So you and can do it money. right now. Uh, <laughs> so it, it makes sense. What I'd have liked to see, a, I don't mind the contract extension. I think it clears some things up. That's fine. What you'd almost like to see is a little bit of, okay, here's our big, bold plan, too summer school for a year for everybody, uh, you know, some sort of, uh, I think the commissioners floated this idea of maybe year-round schooling in some, you know, troubled districts, things like that. So, let's see something really substantial. Well, and here's, it's to Dan's point, we probably agree with the commissioner on 80 to 90 percent of things related to education outcomes. And I keep watching the show when I'm not on and being told the unions are the most powerful thing in the state. I would say, gee, maybe we should team up and move the ball forward on all the areas on which we agree. Is, is money going to solve the problem, though, I wonder? Well, we've had a lot of money that's gone into the schools and into the education department in the past, and where has that money gone? If we're talking about still having crumbling school buildings, um, not being able to afford the types of plans that you're talking about, why... Why aren't we? Why are, why are funds not getting where they need to go to? And, I mean, that's incumbent on, on the commissioner, on the governor, on all these people who are involved in this to make sure those funds are going where they need to be. Why, why is it, Bob, that we don't have the money? If you can do an intervention, if it seems like right. it, it, that cut and dried, that we can get this up to par with a little bit of money, why haven't we done right. that? Where is the money, the millions that we've invested in our education, yeah, and our kids, where has it gone then? Massachusetts spends $2,000 more per student than Rhode Island. We are not meeting our needs, and our kids, when they reach the starting line or school, are not as well off generally as Massachusetts kids. We know the data. Two biggest external predictors to a student's success are the socioeconomic status of the parents, the education level of the mother. In both those categories, we are further behind than Massachusetts by about six percentage points. That's fine. That is the shape of our starting line. Knowing that, we need to do more. If I'm going to play golf against Dan McGowan, who learned how to play golf, read his column, <laughs> he has to give me strokes so that we can compete as equals on the golf course. If our kids are going to compete against Massachusetts, we have to give them strokes. And in that case, it's all the type of interventions that I talked about, and that's going to cost us some more money. And finally, we actually have money. So let's spend it wisely. All right, to be continued. Um, <laughs> it's a whole other show, Bob. It's a couple uh, of shows. You and Leanne and yeah. I, we yeah, agree yeah, yeah. on <laughs> most of this, despite political differences. We agree. This is about the kids. This isn't Democrat right. versus Republican. It's this is making Rhode Island competitive. Isn't, isn't, isn't that a good thing? You and I say that right. every day. This, well, let's be practical. This is about the kids who are going to be taking care of us in our approaching it's, old age, we Jim. Only, we can, that's why my son is studying physical therapy for my shoulder. Perfect. Um, uh, you know, a corollary issue I was looking at this week, there's been a lot of discussion both in the race in Virginia and some of what's going on here about school committees that now parents are, are coming out. There was a, I sent you guys a Wall Street Journal editorial. Also, Peggy Noonan wrote last week, she said, said something interesting that I wonder what your reaction is. She said, parents actually finally through the Zoom uh, 
classes saw what was going on. Now, I think for the most part, probably good back and forth, but maybe there was some stuff that surprised us. So I wonder, Dan, as you look, the North Kingstown thing has its own nuances to it, but the involvement now with parents and school committees and that dynamics, and now that's become a political issue. Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's a good thing that parents are getting more involved in getting to sit and see how the sausage is made in, in some ways. I think, unfortunately, when you you know, pour on sort of the political dynamic of the country, I think the pandemic, I think everybody's sort of tensions are very, very high. I think a, a few years from now, maybe things calm down a little bit. It's going to be wonderful to have more parent involvement, more say over sort of what's happening day to day in school. It just right now it's sort of a toxic mix and you, you see that play out. And, you know, the question is, is it work politically for the Republicans, let's say, in Rhode Island? It, it did work in Virginia. I'm not convinced that it works up here in, in part because I think the cities play such a major role in, in elections and I, you're not seeing, you know, there's not a critical race theory conversation happening at the Providence School Board or in Central Falls or, you know, in the bigger cities. Um, so, so I'm not sure politically it's the biggest deal in the world up here. But again, going back to it, I think it's a good idea for parents to be involved in getting to see what's happening in schools. I think it's great that parents are getting involved to be um, in their kids' education and I, I think it's it's interesting not just that they're getting involved but the response that they're getting and I think that's where the political side of it comes in that if they're thinking they're bringing an a concern or to, to be addressed at a school committee meeting and they're being rebuffed um, by people who are elected to represent them and to represent um, to do the best thing for their kids and they're being shut down they're being told they're domestic terrorists they're being told that you know their voice is not supposed to be heard right now they, they don't know enough these people know better than they do and that is what is going to be the huge political motivator um, the people who are going to be responding to those parents who are now woke um, to this woke teaching that we're having and and if they don't pick up on that and respond to these parents, then there is going to be a huge political recourse for that. Is there woke teaching going on there, Bob? Mm -hmm. Oh, I, woke? I hope so. Are you woke? I, I've been awake my whole life. I'm glad that a lot of, but I'm tired because of that. Um, uh, obviously, we, you know, you've heard me say for a very long time on the show, parental involvement is key. Parental involvement is a predictor of student success. Um, one of my complaints about the charter schools is they, it's like they walk into the uh, parent-teacher organization meeting and say, you're all, all involved parents? Good. Grab your kids and come with us. Um, so involved parents make a difference. Some of the folks, and everybody, everybody, as frustrating as it is, who is making a polite reasoned presentation at a school committee meeting should be listened to politely and reasonably. That doesn't mean the school committee has to agree. And this traveling roadshow that is now occurring in Rhode Island, we are not Virginia, fortunately, but the traveling roadshow that's occurring in Rhode Island, um, led by a couple of folks who deem themselves reporters, and they're not, and uh, some of the same folks who go to a school committee meeting in South Kingstown, then end up in North Kingstown, then end up in Bristol Warren, and then run down to Charahoe, and it's the same parents. Those aren't involved parents, those are activists. You can't say you're a stay-at-home mom when every night you're in a different community at a different school committee meeting screaming at the top of your lungs about things that aren't happening. Um, it is important that our schools teach kids at the appropriate level about everything that's going on in this world. You're not going to tell it. First of all, we don't do critical race theory. We've talked about that on the show before. That's a college level, graduate school level. Um, we do try and be culturally responsive in our teaching, which lets kids 
realize that kids are different, you know? And if there's a kid of a different color sitting next to you, that's just okay. And if your parents are telling you it's not, then there's a parental issue that the schools are never going to be able to fix. You know, one <laughs> thing I would say, though, is, is that the Democrats have to really figure out, though, there a, a sort of a better messaging than you saw with McAuliffe in in, uh, in Virginia. I think what you can't be doing is dismissing parents who do have legitimate concerns, or if they're not legitimate, just have concerns. Their first time they're going to the school board, look, as a as somebody who's a reporter, the first time you step into a city council meeting and you say, "What are they talking about?" Right? <laughs> that that happens it's a for everybody. For a it's a foreign Nobody language. Nobody should roll their eye <laughs> if someone comes in. I mean, this is part of the job when you're an elected official. Um, not that you have to sit there and take it if you're but, being but threatened or anything But for a lot of people else. who run for school committee, it seems like a safe harbor. You know, oh, I'm going to start on yeah. the school committee. We're going to talk about these lofty things. Now a lot of these people are on the front lines, and they're, they're really getting it in North Kingstown. Apart even from the Aaron Thomas thing, there's some, been some other issues going there's on. There's been other issues. There's um, a book that's been in the library. The that is queer thing. Yes, yeah. so it's, but it's considered pornographic material, and it's not age-appropriate. Um, I definitely do not believe in censoring. I don't believe in book banning, but I do believe that age-appropriate things should be in our, our libraries for our kids, um, and they shouldn't have access to things that are actually, like, you wouldn't have the Kama Sutra in the library, so why would you put this comic book with illustrations um, that are pornographic in there as well? It just doesn't make any sense, and I don't understand the pushback for it. I don't, that's what I don't understand what, with the response. Why are you going to fight to put something that parents don't want their children to see, and people don't feel it's appropriate? What, what is the benefit of having that there? All right, let's, uh, let's get a couple other things to talk about. If we have time, let's go to uh, outrageous and or kudos. Dan, let's begin with you this week. Yeah, so, <clears throat> excuse me, my, uh, my outrage of the week is my old friends at the Providence City Council um, who are about to impeach or remove the city clerk. You can read about it. The journal's done a great story on it. I think a lot of the There's TV Stephanie stations Shadow's have. There's been, been a lot of good it, reporting yeah. about it. The bottom line here is, unfortunately, what you see with a lot of part-time politicians who don't get a lot of attention always as you get bored in your job. And what's happening in Providence right now is the Providence City Council leadership, they're not on the front lines. The mayor in Providence is sort of now a back burner person because he's not going to run for governor. And they're looking for attention. They want to remove somebody who, look, should the city clerk serve at the pleasure of the city council? I think there's a debate to be had about that. Probably you can remove the guy and negotiate a settlement and go away. But what they're going to do is essentially impeach somebody for kind of being a bad boss. Doesn't make any sense at all. It's a waste of taxpayer money, and uh, it's a shame that people who should be thinking really hard about how to spend, you know, more than a hundred million dollars in federal money are going to focus any time at all on trying to remove, you know, a public servant from their job. Yeah, Bob, what do you have? Um, I guess the theme of this outrage is what's the rush? We mentioned some of the topics already. We have to get rid of the uh, emergency order. What's the rush? We have to spend all the federal money. What's the rush? And on the federal money thing, I'm glad we waited because the passage of the infrastructure bill gives us money to spend on infrastructure that three weeks ago there were ideas about spending money on things. We can now use the infrastructure money and free up that other tranche of ARPA money to do other things. And whatever passes related to Build Back Better, you know, even if it's only uh, $1.5 trillion and not three, Rhode Island's going to get a lot of money. So it's okay to wait until after the first of the year to figure out a four-year spending plan of the largest amount of money that's ever come in. 
the ILO contract was rushed, the commissioner's contract renewal was rushed. What's the rest? Every time we rush, we get into trouble in the state. Be thoughtful about things. Take your time. Do it right. You know, as the uh, carpenters say, and my friends in the buildings trades often say, measure twice, cut once. Oh, I so thought let's you were going to say carp the Karen carpenter. No, no. Right? Measure, as so the carpenters case, use the same. In this case, plan twice, spend once. All right. Everybody, Bob Walsh is like, take it easy. Take it easy. What do you have planned? Well, my outrage is North Kingstown, um, the whole situation with this coach and the naked fat tests. Um, it's terrible what happened there. And the fact that this was brought to the attention of people in charge, and then he was able to get a position elsewhere. Um, it's kind of reminiscent of the Catholic Church scandal where people are recycled through a system. And we need to stand up to make sure that doesn't happen any longer. Um, with the Me Too movement, um, we saw more women coming forward and speaking out and being heard and we have to make sure we give the same consideration to our children when they speak about these things and when parents bring these concerns they're brought to uh, the principal the administrators and they're swept under the rug and it allows that to happen and more people are victimized before because at, of it at the very least if I'm the uh, they told him hey look you got to have two people in the room and all of this wouldn't there be some type of follow-up you just drop in or you talk yeah. look all these principals know each other, and they know the kids. Pull the captain of the basketball team and decide, hey, is this still going on, right? Right. There's plenty of checks and balances they can have in place. There's no need for any of that to have occurred. Um, and and with, without any supervision, the fact that it happened is just it's disgraceful. All right, folks, that is all the time we have. We appreciate you joining us. Bob and Dan and Leanne, thank you so much. Come back here next week. We hope uh, we don't. I always say you never know who's going to run for governor. I said that a couple of times, and then every week somebody did. So there's been a little bit of a lull, but you never know what's going to happen. I heard McGowan's name mentioned. Today <laughs> yeah, well, that's a whole that's a whole other show too. Uh, folks, come back here next week as a lively experiment continues. Have a great weekend. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.